0: Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5, and one of the things I want to do as you're turning to the Bible, to Joshua chapter 5, which will be our text for today, is to remind you of our very important aspect of the offering we bring to God every Sunday that is our, an act of worship. We make it possible for you to worship God in four particular ways, In this way you can mail a check to the church address, you can get an automatic draft at the bank, you can go online to our website, it's very easy, follow the directions. Or if you're here in person, you better hurry because the counters are getting ready to take the money from the box. There is a box right there on the table on the way out. And if you're not here in person but you're with us live streaming, we are absolutely thrilled and delighted to have you here with us today. I can't call out all of you, but I do want to make a special shout out. To you, Scott Carnes, we know that you're today again as you are every Sunday as a policeman working at the airport. We love you. You're so much a part of this family. And Scott wanted me to pass on to you, whenever you fly in and out of Colorado Springs Airport, look for him. He may be somewhere on the concourse. He may be down at the baggage claim area. He's got an office there. Text him and say, hey, I'd love to see you. It's just fellowship for him. And so I want to really encourage you to, to look him up when you get there. So we are in Joshua chapter 5. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. It's about to get really weird. I really, I really wondered if maybe I shouldn't put it on the screen for mature audiences only. Well, oh, now, now you're all awake. It's not unlike the, maybe you remember, I'm sure you remember if you were here, the sermon we did a few weeks ago, we were in, and where were we, in Joshua chapter 2, and it was a story, I love the King James, I think the King James is very soft with Rahab, she's Rahab the harlot, but I was reading the English Standard Version on that day, and it's Rahab the prostitute. I was certainly, after after that sermon, the Guinness Book of World Records was going to call me up and congratulate me for setting the world record and saying the word prostitute more than any other preacher in a sermon at that. That time, I, I know that some of you guys were cringing. Could he just stop saying that word? There's just stuff in the Bible like, what's it doing there? I was certainly if there were going to be some parents whose kids are in here with us who would be texting me or emailing me and sarcastically thanking me for. Um, forcing them to have some really awkward and unplanned conversations once they once they got home I was out in the far year after that sermon and one of the one of the young men who was in here with his parents came up to me after the sermon he said Mr. Eddie what's a prostitute and I said to him oh you you need to ask your parents and he said I did and they told me to go ask you <laughs> I, I guess I deserve that right and so it's going to get kind of weird today because this story, the Bible's amazing, you know. It's going to make us talk about circumcision. It's like, what in the world, why in the world does God have something about circumcision in the Bible. Maybe I'll just skip. Let's go to the battle of Jericho in chapter 6. And it's not just mentioned here. It's mentioned more than a hundred times. God says, I want you to tell I'm sitting there going, how are we making slides for today? What in the world do we do with this? What is the application that we can draw from this lesson? It is Amazing. So let's just jump into the story. Let me let me set the stage for the context. And so you, we've pretty much been repeating the background, setting the stage for the story. They've traveled for 40 years through this miserable wilderness after 400 years of this incredible, miserable story of, of being slaves in Egypt. And then we went with them and... Crossed the Jordan River, an incredible, miraculous story of God bringing them across the Jordan River. Now they are in their homeland, now they are in their promised land, now it is time to take and to settle their land. They are now poised for battle. Or so they thought. Let's go, chapter chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, listen to this. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. If there's ever time to strike the enemy, it's now. They're afraid. There's no spirit. Like, like Israelites, you have the advantage. And it would make a lot of sense right here for that we begin reading in chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's take Jericho. But that's not our story. Verse 2. This is where it gets weird. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeah (laughs) Haraloth. Are you kidding me? The enemy's afraid. There is never a better time to attack than now. And you're saying, wait, wait, not yet. Isn't it interesting that often when we're in a hurry, that God isn't? At times when we're ready for God to move on an answer to prayer right now, and God is saying, yeah, I'm hearing you, but not yet. There's something I need you to do. And For the Israelites, it was to be circumcised. And I'm thinking... (laughs) Are you kidding me? Now is the time for your men, your soldiers, to attack Jericho, and you want us to be circumcised? Could that not wait until later or until never? If I were, <laughs> if I were, think about it, guys, what would you have done had you had been there as an adult? Man, I would have been saying, uh, I'm good, thanks. I would have been saying, here's what, here's, I would have played the Bible card. I would have said, in the scripture, in the book of the law, I'm just a Bible-following guy. It says that we're supposed to circumcise infants that are eight days old. Oops, guess I missed that date. Not me. And then, a flint knife? I'm just kind of wondering, this is crazy. What did flint knives look like? 3,000 years ago, and I'm kind of wanting to see who is, the, who is the skilled medical professional that's going to be using that flint knife, and does he have anesthesia? Those are fair questions. And you're going to name this place Gibeath Harloth go down to the bottom of my Bible and it tells us what that Hebrew word means hill of the foreskins oh I'm sorry where did you say you're from (laughs) like why are we naming this place after this event this is strange why in the world are we doing this what is the purpose for this keep reading In verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised him. Okay, (laughs) we've got an explanation. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised him. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet... All the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nations in until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised. Do we have to keep saying that on the way? Verse 9, 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places and the camp until they were all healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. What's the purpose of this? I'm gonna share with you what I believe to be the primary purpose and then I'm gonna share with you two or three secondary purposes. It's really not complicated to figure out the purpose, the primary purpose, because it's stated right here in verse nine where we read, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. First we see that circumcision was, a, was something of a symbolic Removal. The word remove, the reproach, the word reproach in Hebrew, it means scorn or taunt or disgrace or shame. So you got to think about the history of these people. For so many years, they had endured the disgrace, the scorn, the taunting, the shame in Egypt of being defeated. Slaves living under the fear of an oppressive pharaoh. And though that whole generation of people had died in the desert. And a new generation had come up. This defeated fearful slave identity mentality had been passed on to the next generation. Something of a a victim mentality. And God is saying through this unusual event. No more. No more. That has been rolled away. That's in the past. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer disobedient rebels wandering in the desert. And that was important for the Israelites as they're rising up out of the ashes of their past and they're being called to move forward in victory with God God needed them to know that the shackles of their past had been removed. God had freed them from this defeated, fearful slave mentality that was evidently holding them back. Now they could move forward, not as slaves, defeated, but as mighty children of God. Circumcision was symbolic of that. I'm thinking, why couldn't you have just said, you're free? This is God in his mysterious ways telling the people the past has been rolled away. As a matter of fact, that's, that's the name of the camp of Gilgal. It means to roll away. God put the past in the past and notice he didn't say you need to put the past in the past. God says I have done this. You just need to grasp what I've already done for you and this is what at this moment they needed to be reminded of and I think we also need to be reminded of that as well. How many of us allow the hurts of the past, the failures of the past, the mistakes of our past to be our identity of who we are today? When God says, that's not who you are. How many of us allow the things of the past to weigh us down and to make us become stagnant in our faith to allow them to become our reasons and our excuses for not moving forward where God wants us to be? This is who I am. This is where who I'll always be. And I guess this is where I'll always stay. And guess God says no. That's been removed. That's pretty neat. That's that's, that's the primary purpose of circumcision in this story. In such moments when we find ourselves shackled by the past, God wants us to know the chains are gone. You've been set free. But there are secondary purposes that I don't think I'm reading into this text Secondly, circumcision was also a restoration, and I would say it's a restoration of going back and doing what you have neglected and set aside and returning to that. Because you see, we read this in the text, for 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites had been disobediently ignoring and neglecting but God had called them to, and they could not expect to move forward and God worked them powerfully in victory when they were still living in defiant rebellion against God. There was something they needed to do that God was calling them to do in obedience to him before he was going to work powerfully through them. There was unfinished business. That was circumcision for them. It was a restoration, but it was also, I would suggest that it was a renewal, and you'll have to read this on your own. It's in Genesis chapter 17. This is really where it all had its origin, that we see that circumcision was a a symbol of a covenant, a sign of a covenant between God and man. It started out with Abraham, and then it continued to be a symbol of a covenant between Abraham and all his descendants, all of the Israelites, The covenant that God made to his people. I am your God. I will give you this land. I will bless you. I will take care of you. You will be my children. A covenant that the people in turn made back to God. We will be loyal to you. We will obey you. We will be faithful to you. Circumcision was a sign of that agreement. It's kind of like my wedding ring is a sign of my covenant with, with Karen. And so now at this crucial time when the children of Israel, after decades and centuries, have returned to the promised land, and they realize God kept his promise, even though, good grief, we broke our promises again and again and again and again. So now through this act of circumcision, the sign of their covenant, they're in essence renewing their vow to God, their covenant. Father, you've been faithful to us, and we pledge once again to be faithful to you so the people were circumcised for these reasons. But we're not ready for Jericho. We're not ready for battle. There were two more things God says we need to take care of. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped in Gilgal, chapter 5 and verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land that Year. Again, I'm thinking, seriously? Your enemy's afraid. Like, this is the time to strike. And we're just going to sit down and eat? We'll be like sitting ducks before the enemy. But there was a need first. First. We've already talked about this. It's repeated throughout Scripture. There was a need for remembrance. Here we see the people celebrate their first Passover in their new homeland. And through the the memory of the Passover, they remembered the victory that God had given them when God had brought them out of their slavery, when God had actually delivered them and set them free Showing them if God can do this against our enemies, then this will give us a courage, a fearless courage to move forward wherever he leads us in the days ahead and he's getting ready to. You see, remember this, this is in the camp of Gilgal. This is where they set up those 12 stones that we set up here a couple of Sundays ago. They have those 12 stones in Gilgal to remember, wow, God got us across the Jordan River. They now have have celebrated the Passover to say, wow, God helped us conquer an overbearing, powerful enemy. This gives them courage to face what they're standing before now. And I think it's very interesting that after they took the Passover, it then says they had this, this big meal. After, Think about this. After 40 years of eating manna three times a day for 40 Years, it ended. I would have been really excited. I I don't know, maybe manna was awesome, but I would have been sick of manna. And now they're eating the produce of the land. And I think what's really fascinating is you put this in its context. They are in enemy territory, they are surrounded by the enemy. The enemy can see them. And they're seated at a table feasting, not looking over their shoulders in fear, but there's a sense of confidence. And you know, I just, I just wonder, did King David have this story in mind when he wrote of God, our shepherd in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Gilgal, this camp, was a place of a remembrance of what God had done for them in the past. And remembering what God has done for us in the past gives us the courage to face the present and the future. But there was one more thing. We're not finished. We're not ready to go to battle in Jericho. That's next week. There was one more thing that God said, I need you to get this. It was a need for a reminder, a reminder for Joshua and for the people of Israel. Look in verse 14, excuse me, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And worshipped and said to him. What does my Lord say to his servant? Verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua. Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy. Maybe that's where we got that song we just sung from. And Joshua did so. There is a whole sermon that could be here. But I want to just briefly mention what I believe is at play here. I believe we see what is called a theophany. A theophany is what you see. As a matter of fact, there's multiple theophanies. These are these are appearances of God. In your life groups, I've asked you to talk about what are the other appearances of God in Scripture? What were their purposes? You ever had a time when, when God just somehow showed up? People look at you like you're kind of freaky. It's very biblical. And we know this is God because when, when Joshua fell to his feet and worshiped, this being did not say, hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. Instead, he said, take off your sandals for this ground is holy. And the word that Joshua used in reference to this individual is Adonai. Joshua was in the presence of the Lord. And here Joshua is told, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And you might expect Joshua to say, whoa, back up. Uh, I happen to be the guy in charge here. I am the general. God wanted him to understand, no. I, your God... I'm the commander of the army. The battle you're about to face is not mine. It will be by my strength and my leading and my strategy. If you lead in your way by your strength, you are certain to be defeated. And so Joshua, in humility, took off his sandals, placed his face to the ground in humility and worshiped. Worship precedes warfare. No one can truly rule who is not willing to be ruled. No one can truly lead who is not willing in humility to be led. And so now, with these things in place, Joshua and the Israelites are poised for battle. What about you? Are you poised for battle? You need to be. Because look, we are in enemy territory. (laughs) You're surrounded, we are surrounded by the enemy. It's not, will there be a battle? There are battles. God has for you, there are some Jerichos that God is calling you to face that need to come down. They need to be defeated. That's next week that we will look at that. The question today is, are you ready? Are you poised for battle? In what way is God saying to you, wait? Not yet. There's something first that you need to do before you move further and forward. What is that? So I want to ask that we go into a a time of prayer right now. Remain seated first. And then I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes in this time of prayer. And I'm going to talk to you and to God at the same time. And I'm going to ask you a number of questions. And Holy Spirit, I'm just going to ask that we would go way beyond the flesh in me speaking and that you would take these questions and you would speak through me and help penetrate into the hearts of each one of us to honestly answer these questions. Do you have a need for removal? Are you paralyzed by the past? Are you carrying the heavy baggage of hurt of failure and mistakes and they're weighing you down are you allowing yourself to be identified by those hurts those mistakes and those failures are you living with shame and guilt that has caused you to become stagnant there is a interesting parallel in Colossians chapter 2 and I've given this to our life groups to consider. It's it's, it's comparing circumcision to baptism. And there in baptism we read in Colossians 2, God rolls away. He removes the guilt and the shame of our sin and of our past and he makes us a new creation in Christ. It's in that moment we're no longer a slave to fear and sin but a child of God. Is that what God is saying? Wait, I need you first to surrender your life to Christ in baptism and put to death your past and rise up from the waters of baptism to a new life and a new identity. That's what Erica and Eric did this past Thursday. But it's really interesting when you hear the voice of God in Colossians chapter 2. He's actually not speaking to people to be baptized. He's speaking to those who are. But they're still holding on to and living by that which God has freed them from. That's crazy. If God has put your past in the past, then why are you still living there? Why are you still holding on to what he has freed you from? Are there some things you need to let go of that need to be removed? Is there a a need in your life for restoration? Are there things that are related to your life and your Christian faith that have just stopped, that have ceased, that you've set aside, that you've neglected? that need to be restored? Are there some things in your life that need to be made right? What are those things? Is there a need in your life for renewal of your vow? Have Have you broken your vow to God again? The vow you made to Him when you gave your life to Him. Do you need to renew that vow today? Or have you forgotten God and what He has done for you and you have a need of remembrance? Or do you, like Joshua and the Israelites, need a reminder of who is actually in charge? Who is the commander of the army of your life? Is it you? Or is it God? Is Jesus... Truly the Lord of your life? Or are you the Lord of your life? Do you need today, as Joshua did, to humble yourself once again? To fall to your knees in humble worship. Surrender your life to Him and raise your hands and confess Him and Him alone as your Lord. Are you poised for battle, Father, as we ask that you would stand now, Father, as we stand and we continue to offer this prayer in song, I pray that you continue to speak to us and help us see how these this powerful lesson speaks to us personally and practically. And as we sing this song, I would encourage you to reach out to someone if you've come here with a heavy heart for prayer if you know someone that you need to go to and pray with our shepherds are here let's offer this song and this time up to turn to god in prayer hey i'm eddie white the senior minister for the Eastside church of christ sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast i hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.